Welcome all to another episode of the B-Side for the Film Stage. As always and as ever, I am Dan Mecca with Conor O'Donnell. Connor, how's it going? Are you excited for Oscar season? We're in the middle of Oscar season. Are you excited for the Oscars? April 25th. I wish I was a little more excited. Sure. I think it's the 2020 of it all, obviously. Um, yeah. I am in the camp that I I. I am like very satisfied with most of the nominations, generally sure. speaking. Um, I yeah. think I think they actually wound up for the most with with a, a a trial or two aside. I would say they did a pretty good job overall this year. A, De- a Delroy or two aside. Uh, oh right, as well. Yeah, especially. But um, but yeah. So just you know, this is the B side. I feel like I'm I've I've forgotten to do the proper what is the podcast about the last couple of times. <laughs> so I'll get this out of the way. The B side we talk about. Movie stars, movie directors, recently uh, Oscar-nominated cinematographers, and not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today we had a fun idea. We have a, a lovely guest with us, and and in honor of him and his amazing podcast and the Oscar season and the weirdness of it all, we decided let's talk about kind of B-side Oscar nominees slash winners um, as we approach April 25th, uh, which is when the Oscars will be uh, airing uh, this year. Uh, so yeah, we we all picked one kind of forgotten Oscar nominee, essentially. Um, and it, it kind of covers a decade and a half from the late 70s, you know, mid late 70s to the mid 90s, so actually two decades. And um, the big guns we brought out to help us is the one and only Chris File of, he's the co-host of the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, which I cannot recommend highly enough. Um, if you listen to this, you should listen to that, obviously, because you guys, you know, Chris, you got you. It's almost a similar. You guys kind of talk about, you know, the whole premise of your podcast is movies that had Oscar buzz but did not get any nominations, right? Exactly. So yeah, it's it's a similar. Like there, there feels yeah, like it's a like, similar pool, you know. When we talk about Ridley Scott, we're talking about fourteen ninety two Conquest of yeah. Paradise <laughs> with a score with a score from Van Gellis, which we'll, we'll, which, we'll, which we'll, we'll get into. We'll talk some Van Gellis. Uh, when we talk about Clint Eastwood, we're talking about Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. Love it. yeah. And then of course we talk about like Lassa Hallstrom movies that don't uh have narration from a dog um <laughs> things um, like that lots of Hawsham, we were we were uh so we do the cinephile game night uh which have you chris you haven't been yeah, have you no, been on yeah you and you and yeah, joe, came uh, on joe and i point. were on that's one, right that's uh, right that's right maybe it was late summer yeah that's right that's yeah. right that's right yeah because you guys because you because so you so joe runs this other trivia which i've been lucky enough to be me and connor have lucky enough to be a part of with our buddy adam and like you guys, like the knowledge is really high. And so you guys were great on the game night. And yeah, if, if you guys, uh, there was listening, if you listen to this at Oscar buzz, the, tangents... the way he structures his trivia categories. Oh my is God. Psychotic. Oh, I, in a, uh, it's, in it's a way great. though, that has actually kind of infected my brain a little bit. Um, yeah. which I suppose, Joe, if you listen to this, maybe you'll be flattered, but I like in my brain, I'm like, well, like, like this, you would represent this with like this image or like, like, do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I like now it's now yep. just pervaded the way I watch certain movies. <laughs> well, so. it reminds me, I wanted Good to shout him. out to Joe. I wanted to shout out to Joe and say like, Hey, apologies to Joe. It wasn't like, we're not playing favorites or something. I think honestly, oh. Chris, the reason I reached out to you is because when we were on one of those game nights, I think that was when it was, we, I was talking about Barbara Streisand and I made a joke to you about you coming on for a b-side of her movies because i love 
uh, Barbara Streisand. She's Listen, like I will hold you ever. accountable to this. I, I mean, I'm not we'll letting do you it. off the hook we'll do it. That's just because I'm here today. I, I, I can't. I can't <laughs> wait for it. Uh, I, I I will talk about the guilt trip for hours on that one. But um, listen, but... we're going to be talking about for Pete's sake. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no, because I remember you brought that up, and I was like, well, yeah, but Barbara's usually like everything was huge, and then I took two seconds. I was like, absolutely not. That is not true because <laughs> but... there's the things for Barbara that's huge, uh, and then there's probably twice as many movies that have no footprint whatsoever <laughs> it's an interesting bad. yeah yeah she i mean the thing about when when we do that episode the thing about her that i think gets a little forgotten because she is an icon though in the 70s she was as bankable as any mm-hmm. male star like she was holding yeah all of the cards and you know that that led into her reputation you know, and all the misogyny that came with it, of course, and that's well documented. But like, it's a very interesting kind of talking point. But yeah, like, oh, for Pete's sake, she made a lot of kind of movies. The main that event. Went, the, the main event when you go back. But like, the main event at the time was actually kind of a big hit. But like, who, mm-hmm. remember, who remembers the main event now? But anyway, um, okay, so the movies we're going we're gonna to kind of talk about and we'll use as a context for the Oscar years that they were a part of are Connor's Choice is Bound for Glory, the Hal Ashby movie starring David Carradine about Woody Guthrie that was nominated for, I believe, I have it down here. I have it right six, in front of me if you six, want me Like to. five or six? Six nominations. Yeah, yeah it was two, no, two, two wins. wins. So it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Screenplay, uh, yeah. Best Costume, Best Editing, and then it won, rightly so, for Best Cinematography. Yeah. and Best Music, and, which, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, The best adapted music. score category yeah. that existed, right. But but um, but um, the thing about Bound for Glory that I think makes it a perfect choice is it is the fifth movie in the famous Best Picture nomination category that people always bring up, which is Rocky wins that year, and people always go... Well, you know, Rocky won, and three of the greatest movies ever made were nominated, and, and they bring and up nobody net- remembers what the fourth one was. <laughs> exactly. So, because people bring up Network, All the President's Men, and, and now what's totally Taxi Driver? Taxi Driver. Yeah. So, but then the fifth one is just like Mount for Glory is over there, and and it's just funny <laughs> that it's among those, you know. And so we'll talk about that, and then um, we're gonna take a quick detour into Chariots of Fire, which won Best Picture. Um, it was a shocker because it beat Reds, which was the huge epic directed by uh, Warren Beatty, who won Best Director. Um, so that was kind of a shock win. But I would argue is basically forgotten, except for the Vangelis score, which has become self-parody, which is funny to watch the movie because it's so not. It's like right. so not Ernest. meant to be funny. It's yeah. just like beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, and then my choice, or sorry, um, Chris's choice. Chris, tell us what your choice was. I don't want to okay, take a look. Okay, so I was thinking back in certain like movies and like I'm an Oscar trivia hound and like even in the 70s and 80s, like I still am like uh, imperfect at that. Uh, in like my like the trivia I can rattle off, and I also have been trying to work back through like the big winners that I haven't seen, and I just fucking finished the 80s. It took me. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh it's cool if I curse. Right? Yeah, curse away. Sorry. Sorry for anybody offended. Um, <laughs> I um, it took me most of the pandemic to get through the '80s wins that I hadn't seen because they're all terrible. And like, there's so many 
options there to do you i could have done like a passage to india sure or oh, God, the accidental yeah. tourist oh, I, dude, we'll I probably do this again up, next year like i was we... just gonna i was just gonna bring up the accidental tourist I that mean, is yeah. i mean i yeah. hated that movie so much that's um, a tough one and yeah. like to the point where i was talking to joe about this where i'm like i maybe don't like william hurt anymore right, because right, of that right. movie right um but instead like i went with uh ironweed which is I mean, like, you're bringing out the big guns. It's Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep. And it's probably, they both have, you know, uh, a crazy amount of nominations between the two of them. But when you, like, ask the people to list off what their nominations would be, this is probably the one most likely to be forgotten for both of them. Um, And, like, it's Oscar, like, trajectory story is interesting. You could see how this could be... The type of thing like we would have talked about on our podcast, except it has those two lead acting nominations mm-hmm. because it's Hector Babenko after Kiss of the Spider Woman. Right. It's this literary adaptation from a Pulitzer Prize winner. Um, yeah, only and... three years before the William Kennedy book. Yeah, exactly. Um, he adapted his own book for the screenplay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we'll get into it. There's a reason why this would be pretty forgotten. Yeah, yeah, we will certainly get into it. And then finally, my choice was um, The Madness of King George, which is the Nicholas Hitner uh, adaptation of the play um, starring Nigel Hawthorne as King George, um, who he presided. We'll get into it, but he's the king who is king of England uh, when uh, when the Re- the American Revolution happened. You know, he's the king that uh, Jonathan Croft plays in Hamilton, right? So he's like kind of the yeah, that's king the, George. Yeah, that's the easy point of entry for it. And, um, <laughs> and after that happened, there was basically a, Christ, a crown, a crisis of the crown, a regency crisis in the late 1880s that was caused from a sickness he had that was interpreted as madness. And that's what the play's about. And actually, I, I will bury the lead a little bit or spoil the lead and say... I actually love that movie. Um, I rewatched it again this morning. I think it's hysterical, but I think it's a good B-side in the sense of, I do think it gets lost in the, I think what becomes this, um, oh, it's a period piece movie. It must be a little dry thing. And mm-hmm. then when you, cause that's how I regarded it in my head for, I don't know, decades. And then, it was it's on HBO Max right now. I watch it just kind of because I always meant to, and I was it was it's, it's hysterical, you know. And I was like, oh well, this is shame on me for just like yeah. you know being my own worst enemy and being like oh whatever yawn I'll get to that anyway. It's we'll, also we'll, a B side yeah. for uh, Nicholas Heitner because I mean how can you top Center Stage? Well, I, <laughs> we're gonna get into it, dude. <laughs> center Stage, Center Stage is so important in my young life growing up with theater people and and Center Stage was. Uh, I'll never forget it as long as I'm alive. Um, young Zoe Saldana, God bless. Um, all right, so jumping into Bound for Glory. Okay, so what a weird Best Picture nominee this movie is. Yeah. So, like, so Hal Ashby, um, an interesting guy. His 70s would rival any great director's greatest decade. I mean, he, I mean, it's insane. He's, it's the landlord. It's Harold and Maude, it's Shampoo, it's Mount for Glory, it's um, 
coming home and the last detail I forgot is right in there too. Like that's like, those are home runs every time, basically in, in one way or another. And then he, he burns out. He pretty famously burns out. He kind of had a lot of issues, um, you know, here and there. And I think he, he kind of got, I think swallowed by the bigger egos in Hollywood. One of them being, uh, Mr. Warren Beatty, uh, which you can read about in <laughs> multiple different kind of accounts. And I think by the eighties, he just was kind of like, uh, you know, a little tired for lack of a better whatever, word. whatever the opinions or thoughts of him might've been, I think is somewhat indicative in the fact that, you know, this walked away with six nominations and none of them were for best director. Like I, that to me feels like weirdly. Well, Granted, who got it's a stack, the best it's director a, slot this year? It could have been like Bergman or something. It's, this isn't it was, a, yeah, so I was looking at Alvidson, it's oh, Bakula, yeah, yeah. it's Bergman, it's Lumet, and Bergman. it's Wurtmuller. I mean, it's Bergman then. Yeah. And and Wurtmuller for uh, what, Seven, seven beauties. beauties? Yeah. So, well, you know, I think here's the thing um, about, about Ashby. Sh- okay. So Shampoo, which is one of my favorite movies, um, the word on the street was that Beatty basically took it away from Ashby, like on the set. Right. And, and, and basically like directed the movie. Now it's a poltergeist situation where you go like, is that actually true? Or is it just like Beatty was so powerful that the narrative is that and actually, and actually it's somewhere in the middle. Right. Cause it's mm. like, you hear the thing about poltergeist like, Oh, Spielberg actually directed it. When in fact, I think that's not real. I think Toby Hooper directed a movie and Spielberg, was very much involved in a way that was maybe even more than producerial. Fine. Okay. So like, it's a mix. And I would, I would wager Beatty's a lead. He's probably standing next to Ashby the whole time. So yes, I'm sure there was like a collaboration that felt maybe a bit, you know, bullying at times, but that could be one of the reasons why this is the year after that. Um, But really this is, I don't know that he should have been nominated for director because this is Haskell Wexler's movie, the yeah, cinematographer. Yeah, it I really mean, is. It's like it's it's all the music and the visuals. Frankly, I do think yeah. I think Carradine's pretty good in it. Um, yeah. But it it I also though can't couldn't help but seeing like the roots of every bad musical biopic that's ever been made because of this movie. Um, well, did anybody else realize that Kristen Wiig is literally doing Melinda Dillon? No, right. In, that, in, that, in Walk Hard. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I kept somewhere in this movie is like the wrong kid. Yeah. Died. Like, no, but literally, <laughs> Chris, Kristen Wiig, if you remember from uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, she's like, you'll never amount to anything. Good luck, Dewey. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You're not talented at all. And like Melinda Dillon has this scene early on in this movie where she's like, Oh, what are you going to sing? Is that going to put food on the table? And I was like, oh, my God. It's yeah. like, here it is, the origins. <laughs> and then there's, the origins. and then even near the end of the movie, uh, I get some yeah, semi-spoilers, yeah. I suppose, but they have this, like, little blow-up or whatever. And it is, it's very much the same kind of vibe of, like, I have mouths to feed and not kids. Yeah. You know. Uh, what did you, uh, Chris, think of this one? But Had you seen or you, did is... you watch it? Did you, did you watch it? And probably not. No, I I've recently because of my eighties watch um, <laughs> saw Chariot of Fire. I didn't uh, watch this one. This like I love Hal Ashby, and this one's been a blind spot because it's been relatively hard to get a hold of. Oh yeah, times. I to be to I be don't fair, even think I had Netflix to, like, just has it anymore. No, and I, I had to the scour the internet <laughs> to get it. Um, yeah, it's very hard to find. Yeah. 
Well, so, that's like, why, it's honestly, on, like, it's always on a watch list somewhere, but I got to get a hold of it first. Yeah, and that's and that's why, so, uh, before we started recording, I had mentioned to Chris that Connor made a kind of a, a call this later. This is, yeah, this is to, my to, bad. To watch it. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 fine. no, 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 but, but, but even after we were like, oh, okay, let's try Bound for Glory, the, even the process of getting it was like way harder than it needed to be which i'm sure is a rights thing you know like a lot of these movies they fall in the cracks and who owns it and then it becomes like where does it well exist? and so much it, it how much of woody guthrie's music is in this or is there any other artists that are in it too because that definitely ties so, into it yeah so so quick context or i guess connor it's your pick if you want to i mean it's it's the woody guthrie story basically uh if yeah, you want to just kind of tell it's about basic it. it's like heavily fictionalized right heavily so, so fictionalized. like and and by that it, it would seem and i'm no expert on woody guthrie but we should also say but, woody guthrie himself his account of his own life is fictionalized right by it's himself like, it's so, sort of a um it's like the same way Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is to Chuck Barris, right? Like it's this like weird yeah. uh, quasi-fictional. It, it it almost basically seems like Ashby set out to make a Woody Guthrie song into right. a movie, right? Like the spirit of a Woody Guthrie song into a movie, and that's kind it, of what. There's it a is. lot of there's a lot of I'm not there here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 You exactly. can see what Todd Haynes is pulling from this a little bit. Yeah. And I, there are things about this movie I, I generally liked. Basically, it it charts. Uh, so David Carradine um, plays Woody Guthrie and Melinda Dillon plays his first wife, uh, Mary. And they basically kind of get swept up in the dust bowl. He winds up after he can't quite hack it as a sign painter. Um, he winds up going out to California, trying to make it as a musician, writes these songs. And, and all the while is also sort of like basically like activating the workers out there because they're in terrible conditions and he's like giving them hope. And it's this whole it's this whole thing. And it, he kind of basically makes his mark as the person who's like singing and speaking for all of these like forgotten people. Right. And that's essentially the movie in a general nutshell. Like it's essentially all about just this journey, him finding work here and there travel, like traveling the rails. So there's a heavily romanticized aspect to it, which is why I do think a lot of like, it is like you said, Dan, it is Haskell Haskell Wexler's movie. Um, because there is some truly beautiful sort of Americana photography in the movie. There is a shot of a dust storm that like sweeps over a town near the beginning of the movie. That's like incredible. Um, but largely it, it feels like the movie, I mean, it's two and a half hours long, which is a problem. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit uh, long. It's a bit, it's a bit long. And it just feels like it doesn't really find enough of a thread that actually sort of warrants that because where it ultimately nets out is he kind of wind up, you know, he, he he winds up sticking to his guns, especially once he gets a sort of actual paying gig over radio. And they're like, hey, you can't be singing these political songs. You have to sing this stuff instead. And he kind of stands his ground and quits his job and finds work elsewhere. And the movie sort of closes on him. Uh, writing the song that becomes this land is your land, this land is my land, right? Yeah, which and, is, I mean, for those, that's Woody Guthrie's kind of most famous. Yeah. 
you know, living song as, as, as this kind of almost folk legend that, you know, Bob Dylan, right. Credits with, you know, his career. Right. So hence the, I'm not there, you know, there's the whole part of the movie. That's basically that, uh, that young actor who plays Woody Guthrie. That's based. It's like a mini version of bound for glory. If you remember that part of, uh, I'm not there. I can't think of that young actor's name who plays Woody. I'll find it. But, uh, um, Marcus Carl Franklin. Thank you. Yes, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that part of I'm not there is a direct nod uh, in a lot of ways to Bound for Glory and not to crap on Bound for Glory is far more interesting. Yeah, just I I don't I I didn't really I don't even really want to dog on it because I didn't really hate the movie, but I I just kind of was like, yeah, there were just a lot of moments where I would kind of tune in and out and I was sort of like, yeah, I get it. Like, and uh, and so that you know take that for what it is um yeah like, like well we said- to my understanding too like this was a, a kind of a passion project for ashby totally it is like very divergent from a lot of his other work uh, not just because it's a full hour longer than most of his other movies um but just like in the tone and like the textures of it and one of the most interesting things in reading just on the Wikipedia page even is that Tim Buckley was going to be offered the role mm. and he died of a drug overdose before they started filming, which oh, is wow. sad. That's and if you know, Tim Buckley was a singer who then whose his son is Jeff Buckley also died tragically at a young age. It's kind of it's a very sad uh, kind of a generational thing there. But um, yeah, I mean, I like to be clear, I like this movie and I think I would recommend it alone on the Wexler cinematography, and we should just mention this is the first feature film that utilized Garrett Brown's Steadicam, which, you know, I think a lot of people think of The Shining, rightfully so, because of the iconic Steadicam scenarios that, you know, Kubrick put together. But this is four years before that, obviously. And which I think is basically what wins at the Oscar, frankly. Like, yeah, I mean, the, and, you know. and like like we said, as it should. And, you know, the the and also the music... Um, you know, the whole score is wrapped around the This Land is Our Land song. Yeah. And I think it is, there's meant to be a melancholy Steinbeckian kind of pastiche happening throughout. I think there's a bit too much canonization of Woody Guthrie that happens the, to make it work. Yeah, which that's is like, like the other strange thing that he, like, yeah. like at one point he essentially you know he has an affair with a with a wealthy woman which does to me it raises some of the more interesting parts of the movie because they like have conversations about like how do you feel about being wealthy while all these other people who are like working around you that you see day in day out like have nothing and and it's not so it's not without some like interesting touch points but it is just sort of like yeah it like a lot of these kinds of movies not unlike say a walk the line Right. Like it is just this kind of like, well, I'm just trying to make my music and so people can hear it and feel better. And like it, 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 it does feel tainted by the sort of parody of, you know, movies like Walk Hard that come way later. So it's not really any fault of the movie. But to me, I couldn't kind of get that out of my head to, to a degree that I do. I thought to myself, this movie, I would like this movie a little bit more if it were funnier. Like, yeah. if it were a little bit more whimsical and playing, it's very, the, it's very self serious. Yeah, yeah, and and if I think if it were playing a little more into a a sort of like, oh, this is a folktale, so like some of it is going to be patently false and embellished and whatever. And I think 
I almost in my brain was like, oh, I wish this was directed by like Robert Altman or something like yeah, right. uh, just something that had like a slight better thread of, of well, I mean, a little the bit themes, of humor I mean, to it. I mean, Nashville's is working on these same themes with way more edge and way more comedy. Sure, that's the other right, thing, right. You know? no, no. And maybe mm-hmm. the, and year, maybe, the and year maybe, before this, yeah. You know, and so. maybe that's why I was thinking that, right? Like, um, now can we quickly talk about this Oscar year before sure. we move on to yeah. quickly chariots? So Robarts wins for all the presidents, men. Peter Finch dies and wins for Network. Um, Dunaway wins, and then. All the Rocky actors are nominated, which is, I think, deserved. I, I like Rocky. Uh, how, Chris, Beach. how do you feel about Rocky? Yeah, what's your uh, Rocky I take? mean, like, I don't, I, I probably haven't seen it in a good 20 years. Like, sure. as far as a winner in that lineup, I mean, no. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, is right. Rocky good? Yes, of course Rocky's good. What would have been your pick in this lineup? I'm curious. Oh, that's a good I, question. I mean, Taxi Driver. Interesting. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm all the president's men, but obviously Taxi Driver is a great pick, too. Yeah. I mean, my second place would probably be Network. Yeah, but like, that would be, I, Network, Network would be is my pick. A, an easy screenplay pick and like some of the acting, but like... Uh, well, Beecher yeah, Straight, Beecher Straight, I mean, if you she wins for like a scene. Right, yeah, which, is, is, which is, which is great still scene the, the shortest yeah. screen time. I'm probably wrong that it's the shortest screen time of anybody nominated, but I'm positive she's the shortest screen time of anyone who's won. Yeah, that, um, I mean, that has to be true because, like, the only one, anytime people talk about that, I also always think of Ruby D for American Gangster. Um, yeah. who had, I believe, like four and a half minutes or something like that. Who, whose house is this? This is your house, mama. It's classic yeah. scene. We all remember. <laughs> oh. Um, so I mean, that's Mount for Glory. It kind of, you know, comes and goes, like we said. I would argue of all of the Ashby '70s movies, maybe aside from the Landlord, this is the one you remember the least. You know, like, which is funny, um, just because it gets. I think the only movie of those that get as many nominate or gets more nominations is Coming Home, um, which which was a big deal, you know, a couple years later. Um, so, quickly, Chariots of Fire. Now, this um, to set it up. This is, I believe, 1981, right? Yeah, and it's then, the 81 year, the 82 Oscars. 82 Oscars, yeah. and it beats. So it's this movie. It's kind of you know to watch it. To watch it and like know that it won Best Picture is so weird because it is <laughs> now. I literally I like this movie. I'm a runner. Like I ran in high school. I you know I ran a marathon a couple of years ago. Whatever. It's a thing I do. My sisters run 45 marathons. Blah blah blah. She's like incredible. So it's like a thing that's a part of my life a little bit, right? So I will admit. Like putting this on yesterday, and it was a rewatch of 15 years in the making. I was like, yeah, I, as a lapsed Catholic, as a person who likes running, <laughs> as a person who's a big Anglophile and loves British t- tight upper lip stuff, like this is for me. So I really enjoyed this movie. That being said, that it won Best Picture is crazy. Yeah. But then when you look at the other nominees, it's not that crazy either because Atlantic City gets nominated, which is a lovely Louis Mall movie, but very specific. On Golden Pond got nominated, which, you know, lovely movie, but like just really a movie about actors acting, you know, God bless. But Raiders of the Lost Ark gets nominated, which, of course, great American movie. But I feel like especially back then that winning, it's like Mad Max Free Road. It's like. 
right, it's like a bridge right. too far. I feel like, you know, the, the, you know, it's like the tie gets a little too tight in the Academy for that. <laughs> and then Reds was the obvious favorite because it was Beatty and everything was about John Reed. But it's a movie about socialism, which I just always think that like that, three and a half hours yeah. long. Yeah, yeah. And that people like that people in 1981 were like, oh, yeah. Shoeing that that three and a half hour epic it about socialism me, that made seven dollars <laughs> is gonna be like I watched winner. this this morning and it reminded me of the 2010 Oscars uh the, or the 2011 Oscars 2010 films because it feels very King's speechy oh yeah to but me King's speech is yeah I but mean see, King's speech is funnier. Like it's like uh, yeah, King yeah. King's speech, but King's speech has that thing that f- screams Oscar to me, where it's like very specific thing, very. But funny, this doesn't very, have all those things, kind of. I don't like, think no. To me, see, to me, what makes this movie weirder? Not that it's like weird, but like it's so subdued. Like it's the most subdued sports movie I've ever seen. Like you well, can't yeah, really even sure. hang the movie on like the character no. or yes. the performances. You can hang yeah, it like, on the faces though. There's a lot ben of Cross, like... <laughs> ben, ben Cross plays just so quickly. And we don't want to spend too much time on this, but quickly what the movie's about is it's, a, it's the lead up to the 1924 Olympics. And essentially um, Ben Cross plays Harold Abrahams, who is a real guy, and Ian Charleston plays Eric Little, who's a real guy. And um, they, uh, Abrams is a, a Jewish uh, Brit who is, you know, determined through his adversity, through the anti Semitism he's lived with his whole life, to be the fastest man in the world. Whereas uh, Eric Little is a Scotsman who isn't really deter he he feels he's primarily devoted to god and he's catholic and the only reason he's running is because he feels like he's been ordained by god to do so and his catholicism ends up getting in the way of the olympic games to some degree which happened in real life and so what happens is you you basically have this semi-rivalry barely that becomes a companionship kind of um that results in gold medals at the 1924 olympic games and it's just about like legacy and god and country and you know what your belief like why we do what we do and the probably the most interesting part about the movie is that ben cross's character uh harold abrahams is like he's he's fueled only on hate and and determination to be you know to be the best to defy you know the you know not defy the Jew, his Judaism but like to defy the, the anti- prejudice yeah the anti-Semitism yeah. Yeah. yeah and the most interesting probably part of the movie is towards the end of the movie he goes he's talking to um I believe he's talking to either Aubrey Montag or I think it's Aubrey. I don't think it's Lord Andrew Lindsay, who's Nigel Havers, who's very handsome, I must say. But I think it's uh, Nicholas Farrell. And he's like, you know, if I win, I'm scared to win because then I don't know what I'm going to do if I win, which is good. Yeah. Like, that's yeah, yeah, a yeah. great moment. Um, but yeah, it's a weird movie. It's just like the Van Gogh score is specifically designed to be like anti what you're watching. So it's this very synth Van Gogh's modern day score that that fights against every single image and it works beautifully. 
and it, you see movies doing that now, which I think is so funny because at the time it was revolutionary. And like 40 years later, they're like doing it again. And people are like, that's pretty cool. It's like the score doesn't match the movie. And it's the first uh, score to win Best Picture. Yeah. Right, no, like, that's it. But that's, that's what you're saying. <laughs> that's exactly that's what it is. So and that, that's why I wanted to call it out because it's, it's not that people yeah. don't know Chariots of Fire. Like if you say it, people know it. But it is – as they know an, the theme. Yeah, yeah they know the as theme. an Oscar winner, a best yeah, picture a theme, winner. A theme that, that it's only opens and closes the movie, by the way. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, like yeah, not yeah. even in the movie. You expect that much. it in the final, yeah. in the final whatever, 400 meter dash yeah, no. that, that occurs. You expect it to happen there. It doesn't. Um, yeah. I think some of the way those sequences are edited is really lovely. Um, and yeah. I, and the movie has things to offer. I I, I basically liked it, but yeah, it's extremely stuffy. Um, and I mean, there are scenes, Lindsay Anderson and John Gielgud playing literally England. They're just like, right. The, they're like, yeah, the two white deans who are like, hmm, really, he's Jewish. Yeah, <laughs> really, the Anglo, really, really Anglo. Like, um, I do love, I mean, I will say, I love. Probably the thing I love most about the movie is their consternation that their two great white hopes are a Scotsman and a Jew. And then and then and then like the proper Englishman, Nigel Havers, is like not he's like the third best. And they're no, just he's like, also the dude who like bows out. You know, he's like, yeah, Hey, no, he's like, I, I want a silver medal. Can I go home? Like uh, yeah. but and we should say this is the first of two Ian Holm appearances we're gonna be talking about today. Yeah. Um oh, but, and, and, and similar and, similar constructs con- of character yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And I like Ian Holm in this. He was nominated yeah. for this movie um as well. Um I like him. Obviously, he plays an Italian Arab, which is a little tough. So, yeah, if yeah, you can, if you can stomach that, uh, it it is. I do think a lovely performance. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, this movie to me, though, it 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 feels very Oscar-y, like in a in a sort of self parody kind of way, right? Like in that sense of like, if you were to just jokingly talk about what an Oscar movie is. I feel like this hat, this checks eight of the 10 boxes in, in, in my mind. Um, so the, that's why John, John, Johnny Carson hosted this year, by the way. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. And we should talk about the year in general, I guess. So, yeah, we kind of did. I mean, yeah. reds, reds gets 12 nominations. Do you like reds, Chris? What's your I reds? Do. I mean, like reds wasn't entirely what I was expecting it to be when I did see it. There's yeah. um, like, it's way caught up in the relationships of these people. Mm. And I wanted to see less of that and more of the politics and socialism. Sure. Sure. Um, but it's great. Maureen Stapleton's amazing. Oh, she's so good. <laughs> Legend. My favorite, um, my favorite story about Reds from the Star book, the the uh, the Warren Beatty book, um, is somebody said to Beatty when they're prepping it, they're like, Warren, you're forgetting one thing. You don't look anything like look anything like John Reed. And Warren Beatty goes, I don't care if I don't look John. I don't care if I look like John Reed. When this movie gets made, I don't, when people think of John Reed, I want them to think of me. I always love that. So it's so baity. So the most baity of all the baities. Uh, and you know what? He was right because who knows John Reed? From no, Warren I Beatty. always think of Warren Beatty with the hat. Like that's what, if you say John Reed, that I think of this movie. So I guess, I guess one and one for Warren. I do. Uh, Jack Nicholson's fucking great in Reds too. Yeah, actually. he plays Eugene O'Neill. Yeah. yeah. Um, Diane Keaton, of course, do. And it's funny. He wanted. 
I think they wanted Julie Christie, but I think Julie Christie was kind of like, I did Dr. Javago. Like, what am I going mm-hmm. yeah. to do? Reds? Like, come on. That's what we're talking the about. The thing about Tyane Keaton in this movie is like, I, I've seen people say that it's her best performance. And like, I'm not, and maybe I don't agree, but I'm not inclined to argue. Um, yeah, it's a great. She's amazing. She's yeah. probably the best performance in the movie. Yeah, yes. I would. Pro- yeah. I would say Maureen Stapleton, just because it's so iconic. But 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 Keaton is right there. She's incredible in it. Yeah, she's. I what? mean, yeah, Keaton is just an all star. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. Like she's she's weirdly almost underrated. You know, in that weird way where <laughs> like like she's not, I guess, because she's so celebrated. But I don't know that we ever talk about her. We don't like talk she about her the talk- same way we talked about, you know, we talk about Meryl Yeah, Meryl Street. or, or like, yeah. or, or even, you know, yeah, I mean, I think there are other actresses who we just kind of put on a pedestal as we should, but like she belongs on the pedestal, I think. Anyway, but, um, What yeah. would be your guy's pick for this year? For this year? Yeah, I mean, it would, it, Mine would be Reds. Reds is one of my favorite movies, so. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably. A I mean, Raiders, I guess. It, well, Raiders. The Raiders of it all. The reason I think the reason I made the 2011 comp is because I feel like Raiders is the Inception nomination. You know, where it's like, oh, I see, where I see. it's like, hey, culturally significant, very expensive, uh, big budget movie that did really well and everybody loves it. Here you go. Thanks. I mean, we don't right, really like, have analogs to it because like comparatively, the amount of money that a movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark made is like it compared to the other movies i guess it's like, it, it, like it's so is that is that an it, avatar though. comp then you know what i mean like a, a it's probably closer i mean avatar, I, yeah. I don't know if raiders of the lost ark had the same level of innovation as something like that's avatar true did, i get but... to me the avatar comp would be star wars in 77 getting nominated right yeah, where it's like right. hey here's this huge like visual crazy thing that is just worked like gangbusters you know the spielberg thing in oscar is also weird too and it's like tough trivia to remember and i've gotten it wrong before but i'm pretty sure that this is the first spielberg to get both director and picture right yeah, because he, jaws, didn't get jaws. he didn't get jaws that, and then it's director for close encounters but not picture yeah right yeah, i believe that's right yeah yeah he kind of had that thing for a while with oscar right and then the color purple situation where it was just you know right a million nominations no wins and and uh you know he got there he got there and now <laughs> everybody loves him um all right so chris ironweed now let me just let oh me boy. Let, now let me open it up and let me just say i was rewatching some ironweed today i have a young baby now as a young as i have a, I have a young little baby so even harder to watch than it was the first time because of the whole backstory of that oh, yeah. movie. Yeah. And um and just yeah, I can say being a young father, like or not a young father, but a father who has a young uh kid, um every day is like the scariest day of your life. You know, you're just like, holy <laughs> shit, I am holding this thing. Anyway, so that makes it impossible to watch. So I don't know that I'll actually finish it today, but um it's like Meryl. It's like there was a bet, and someone was like, Meryl, could you make something sadder than Sophie's Choice? And she's like, I, I could try. <laughs> I could certainly try. They certainly yeah. do try. So tell us okay, what Ironweed's so about. Go ahead. Ironweed is like, it's this movie about, uh, uh, I mean, all of the synopses will try to like... Uh, kindly call them vagrants but they are these impoverished um drunk dying homeless people post the great depression um 
and it follows Jack Nicholson's character, who is basically it starts with him returning to Albany, which is a very painful thing because he um, it's hard to tell how clear it is, but a lot of his trauma starts from the death of his baby that while he was drunk, he dropped baby. He did so intentionally. Um, and a lot of his lingered guilt um, and other people that he's killed show up as ghosts throughout the movie while he's basically going from place to place to place, hopping trains, hopping off of trains, um, talking to Tom Waits, talking to Tom Waits, hanging out um, in basically a uh, <laughs> the shambles of a building, hanging out with Tom Waits, who's like, I'm going to die in six months. Let's get drunk. Uh, it's very much that movie. Uh, Meryl Streep is also part of this like circle of wanderers who is also dying um and had like a better social standing than she has now and like you see her meeting uh people who haven't they're like hey i haven't seen you in 20 years blah 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 your family and she lost uh money from an inheritance um (laughs) but it's just very very sad and it has the makings of something that could be really interesting yeah. like uh, we mentioned you see these ghosts coming and going one of which includes nathan lane who dies from a rock being thrown at his head at a protest and he was breaking a strike as a uh a yeah. scab and it, it should be a way more interesting movie no. probably still just as depressing but it's it's two and a half hours long as well mm-hmm. And Jack and Meryl are the best things about yeah, it. Yeah, agreed. The performances are really, really strong and authentic and painful, but a lot of the movie also still feels like dress-up. Mm. You know, they feel kind of costumed and portrayed and their circumstances, like, you know, kids on Halloween dressing up as hobos. You know, when you see, like, the the pictures of your parents or something when they were eight and they were like, I was homeless for a halloween and it's like it doesn't ever feel um it feels like navel gazing in a way towards you know the great depression and american poverty at the time in a way that doesn't feel uh even by those standards like uh you know uh i don't want to say appropriate because it's that but it's also just like it feels like it's trying to glamorize pain in a way. It's like the hillbilly That's... elegy of its time, kind of like a <laughs> like it's like a a, a poverty porn uh, type type situation right. almost. Minus well, the uh, the <laughs> right wingedness. Um, Indeed, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because it, it's similar to Bound for Glory in the you know, portrayal of poverty as period design thing. Mm -hmm. But certainly this is where you bring it back to Wexler being a genius because Bound for Glory, for whatever faults it may have, um, you know, run run time, as we mentioned, included among them, as with Ironweed. It never, to me at least, Bound for Glory never felt like that. It certainly felt very kind of built into the world. It's 
suggesting and rendering. And you're right, Ironweed, for all the beautiful production design, and there is so much of it, it never... It, it does feel like a set. And, you know, they shot a it's, lot of it. It feels like dress up a lot of the time. It does. And they shot a lot of it in Albany. So it's one of those things that it's not like it's all back lots or whatever. But like that doesn't if it if they're not convincing you, it doesn't matter. Right. So. Yeah. So. And I do think Nicholson is certainly very good. Uh, Meryl's good, too. Uh, Nicholson, I think, is the standout. They both got nominated, like we said. Um, it's that thing Nicholson's kind of doing where it's almost and and I'm a defender of this performance, so you guys might disagree. It's almost like Scent of a Woman in the way of it's like he's at one or he's at ten. Where yeah. like Scent of a Woman gets a lot of shit and he won for it. And I get why it gets the crap it gets. But actually, I think it's a pretty good performance because I've known people like that who are were veterans and acted exactly like that without going into too much detail and i always think like yeah you know people always talk about when he's screaming that movie but there are beautiful scenes where he's like he's like so sad and like whispering so it's always like i'm always like it's that very picky choosy thing of like if he hadn't won for it but he just was nominated, you would be like, oh yeah, that was actually a pretty cool underrated Al Pacino performance. But because he won, you go like, oh, that was kind of shitty, which I don't know. I, I get it. I just always, I have a little bit of a trouble with that opinion, but I, I think- feel similar to the Ironweed where it's like, he's on the bus and he's sad and he's talking to dead Nathan Lane and then he's screaming at nobody. And it's like, that's <laughs> the same scene. It works. It's like that right. guy would yeah. do that. You know, yeah. that's, that's, I think not everybody can pull that off. I, I, I also think the part of the Nicholson performance that I liked in this is that it's it's just a flavor of Jack Nicholson I like where he's not mm-hmm. he's just in pain, right? And he's like a dude who actually wears pain really well and not necessarily, you know, cuz you know, you could argue in The Shining he's a dude who's in pain as well, but it's obviously riddled with like menace and all these other things, right? Whereas this, it's like you just want to give him a hug. And it's, you know, it's what you see later in things like about Schmidt and whatever. Uh, you see it in a movie. Like we talked about this on our Jack Nicholson B side. I mean, Mars Attacks, obviously. So <laughs> obviously, <subtle. laughs> yeah, obviously. Uh, no, but a movie like The Pledge. Um, oh, God. Which, oh, my which God. He is, yeah, yeah, which yeah. he's oh my very God, good in. Sad movies. Very sad movies. That's a heavy sandwich. Maybe, maybe this, maybe this, we talked, because we talked about The Pledge on this podcast. Maybe the saddest scene I've ever seen in my life is the Mickey Rourke scene in The Pledge. Oh, God. Mickey Rourke breaks your heart in that movie. In one scene, his daughter got taken or lost or whatever, and he just is, like, recalling it. And you're literally like, you know, because, you you know, Chris, you think of Mickey. I'm sure you've done Mickey Rourke movies or talked about him on the podcast. Like, you think of him in this. Oh, really? Oh, my God. Yeah. Because you think about him in this way of, like, oh, Mickey, what a waste of talent, right? Because of his things. And then in the pledge, you're just, it's that thing of like, oh yeah, he is like the greatest actor who ever lived. Like sometimes. <laughs> like like there fits. are moments <laughs> yeah, where like, spurts. oh yeah, like God gave him the ability to be the greatest living actor alive. And so when he chooses to do it, it's like watching a miracle happen. But then unfortunately, 75% of the time he's like, I need my bird in Iron Man 2. And you're like, <laughs> where oh, am I chihuahuas? Yeah, 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 right, right. Exactly. I think, the, I think you get a bit of that in this movie as well, where overall there's a lot of this movie that doesn't really work for me but for instance there's like the scene with meryl streep where she gets a you know she's convinced to get up and sing to everybody and then she kind of 
just you know she lets her heart out basically and it's cut in this way where you you get this little flashback of kind of her heyday or she's sort of envisioning mm-hmm. her heyday while she's doing it and you get that it's really this nice touching moment for her and you have a feeling it's treated as if you're like yeah she's still just going for it even though she's this like destitute woman uh in just this bar with a bunch of bums and 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 she's still going for it and then it it so it lets you have that moment and then cuts back as she's actually finishing the song and she's like her voice is cracking and she's not hitting the notes and you're like oh no this is what it really is and it, this you think, is the reality here's the real question chris is this the beginning of meryl singing in movies <laughs> meryl meryl singing well and it is actually her first screen performance where she sings it is her right um, i was my wife and i were having a conversation about that yeah that's yeah. what i thought at this point she would have she it, in the late 80s she was retraining her voice to potentially do a vita um, and of course that didn't happen um but yeah this is her first screen performance where she sings um and like quite well to the thing where it's like in florence foster jenkins that she doesn't do and it's basically a drag performance of like she has to sing poorly like the scene you're talking about she has like this full performance where you're seeing the fantasy of a loving audience and her being able to sing and it's like this full belty great performance and then it disintegrates into what the reality is where she can't hold a note and she can barely stand on the stage and Meryl does like the vocal work of that yeah. really precisely. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like you see Ricky and then you see the flash. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's tough. It's uh, tough. But it's, it is an example I think of this movie just being fra- like, cause that's relatively early on in the film and it's yeah. just an mm-hmm. example of this movie. And it comes, I think two scenes after Jack Nicholson, sits at the grave of his dead son and basically confesses to what yeah, happened this is to a movie him. that like peaks and, 45 minutes in yeah, and then there's still another and, hour right, and 45 and minutes of, and you're kind of just like oh the, and i sort of i'll say this i sort of appreciate the movie for that in the sense of like it sort of is just like hey this is what this movie is so yeah you, this you, is like, how bad so you can t- so <laughs> this like, is how bad the devastation yeah is their so lives. like you can turn it off if you want right like it's sort of this thing of like you just you've been warned or whatever and i do actually think both of those respective moments and for my money are the two best parts of their performances too so like frankly even if hmm. you're an academy voter you could like watch the first 45 minutes of this movie and turn it off and be like yep yeah, nomination like cool like check like um yeah, like I can't argue with the uh, acting performance, their performances getting nominated because they're great. I think what makes it a B side for them is that like if uh, you were to quiz somebody on uh, what uh, the Merrill nominations are, what the Jack nominations are, you would probably get to Ironweed last if 100%. you would remember it at all. Yeah. Like Merrill did this. Th- we talked about this on my podcast where Merrill, I believe it was on Fallon or something. It's They published uh, somebody published something of like uh, Merrill's nominations. Can you name them? And she gets quizzed on them. And she says Evil Angels, which is the title for A Cry in, cry the, dark, in the Dark everywhere yeah. else in the world. But here it's A Cry in the Dark. Um, and she says that and people are like, Merrill didn't remember her own nomination whatever but she remembers iron um <laughs> did you yeah, remember i think french lieutenant's woman that's another weird one 
that that's probably another one that a lot of people don't remember though like it has it's had some fans and reassessment well and i always remember i only now. i only remember that actually because meryl regards it as one of her weaker performances she's like mm-hmm. i've been on the record as saying she didn't love the performance she gave because of the metatextual stuff she didn't feel like she had a grasp on it and everything um, if nothing else you remember that image of meryl with the hood exactly like, that's the poster yeah um but like ironweed also part of it being a b-side is like this is also one that hasn't been super available and like you can see why it was a bomb and it's Big like no one really yeah. wants to watch it so like if you're listening can you can you can rent it so you can find it but you, yeah you... I, I watched it on pluto today it's on pluto, yeah. <laughs> how to make this movie even longer put in a shit ton, ton of, of commercial <laughs> oh my god and also the funny thing with something like pluto watching because i watched the, you know the first like 45 uh today uh before this is like I'm sorry, I might have purposely dropped you on your head. Hey, do you want a clean kitchen? And, and then exactly. you're like, <laughs> you're like, wait, <laughs> you're the whip, the whiplash. There's like uh, no pause. You're like, you're like, you're like, he's like at his dead son's grave. He's like, yeah, I finally came back 22 years. Hey, so how about I, that? You're like, oh my god. Exactly. I will it say, kept trying to sell me insurance, and like, you know what? The movie was enough to make me yeah, buy that insurance. Quick, um, quick that's a good shout out. Quick algorithm. shout out to two people, two early '90s people who were in things in then disappeared uh you have frank, frank whaley, whaley plays a young jack nicholson this well movie. we should say plays a young jack nicholson before he spoiler alert for hoffa can i spoil hoffa is that okay sure he he plays young <laughs> jack nicholson before he kills jack nicholson oh, five right. years later in interesting hoffa. interesting my for my money i always thought you know it and granted this actor might I guess he must he must have been old enough. I'm not sure. But when I was watching this, I was like, why isn't it Steven Dorf? Like, no, Dorf was too young. Would I he think, would he have been? Point. I guess because this is this is yeah. what only like a, a couple of years after, like even the gate. Right. Like, no. Yeah. Because Dorf is like a kid in the power of one, which is like two years after this. Right. So, yeah, yeah he was, okay. he was young, so he's, yeah. he was too young. Fine. Fair, fair, fair. It is kind of interesting. The, uh, the other uh, actor I wanted to call it is you have Diane Venora. Oh, right. Um, who plays Peg, who is Jack Nicholson's daughter. I will say, doesn't I know this movie's two and a half hours long. Did it feel to you guys like it was a three hour movie that got cut down? Oh, it's interesting. Just because there's plot it parts. Just, yeah, are, it I just, don't know what the hell else it would be. The book's like 250 <laughs> no, <laughs> pages. No, no, no. It just, I think it's, and and, and I, this is why I was kind of thinking it is, I wasn't sure. It, it wasn't have, particularly well reviewed either, just saying. Yeah, no. and yeah. I think the way that this movie chooses to reveal information is interesting, but it definitely, um, I, because of the way it, chooses to withhold certain things from you i'm like wait who is this person like is peg his daughter-in-law or is she like and then you get like a couple scenes and you're like oh no pegs he had a daughter i guess as well but like they don't mm-hmm. bring that up earlier um i also i also do want to take a second and i want to read you guys the amazon prime plot synopsis for this movie because oh, because it is two words away from being the plot synopsis of john carpenter's halloween Um, so it is a schizophrenic drifter spends Halloween in his hometown after returning there for the first time in decades. So if you literally just take schizophrenic drifter out and you say psychopathic killer instead, it's basically the plot of Halloween. Um, but at the same time, I mean, Meryl at one point does say it was the boogeyman. So so there you go. So exactly. It, it, 
it it's not really a bad synopsis because I'm like, yeah, I guess that is the movie, like in a very um, general qu- sense. But can anybody can anybody tell me who the host was of this Oscar ceremony? I can because I'm looking at it. But oh, let's okay, see if, let's right. see. It. No, no, no. It let's was. See. I don't think Chris isn't gonna get it. You're not, it's so random. I think. I think. Well, it's the '80s. And he the did. Late he did 80s. host technically twice. It's the eight, but, It's '88. Is the is the year? But it was. He hosted once with other people, and then he, this one he hosted by himself. Oh, is it Chevy Chase? Chevy. Yeah. It's Chevy. Yeah. And it's really. I was watching some of. Yeah. It is incredibly C plus stuff. He's just like he's just yeah. skating along. He's just like. Did someone did someone write this for me, or did he just go out there and he was just like kind of vibing, just vibing with the crowd? <laughs> it is, very um, I will say though, looking at the year, like so, last either, last emperor wins yeah, best picture, and mm-hmm. now obviously neither Streep nor Nicholson won, right? But I'm looking at it, and they kind of like it feels basically correct, especially in actress because Cher wins for Moonstruck, which good right of course okay this is like one of the famous like uh actress twitter images of when Cher wins meryl leaps to her feet so excited that her friend won right but it's also glenn close fatal attraction holly hunter for broadcast news who i would personally have given that to that's a fair choice it's a good year i think and and then sally kirkland prana yeah made sure like she she uh, she went no one has ever wanted anything more than sally kirkland she went full melissa leo consider yeah Yeah. consider uh she and like uh, immediately her face goes into a frown and then she like snaps it back to like she realizes she's on camera it's legendary it's great. i feel like if you one, haven't seen it look at the up. one i always remember that's like burned into my brain because i i feel like this is also like when i was younger and starting to like always follow the oscars and whatever but i'll never forget the look on kate winslet's face when she didn't win for titanic and just <laughs> the one was, the that, one that i remember that i just rewatched is the famous julia binoche win where oh yeah where uh, bacall is like shocked and like, because everybody thought she was going to win because it was like a Barbara movie. Bacall is a legend. Mira has two faces. It is a great performance. Bacall actually. had never been nominated. She's never been nominated. It's a great, it's actually, I think, a great. I love that movie. I think it's a great, I mean, I love, I love that. It's a good movie. I love that. You know, so what yeah. do you do? But <laughs> it's a great, she has like one scene that's like maybe Bacall's third greatest scene ever, you know, in the, in the kitchen with Barbara. Anyway. And she doesn't win, and like Juliet, nobody thought would win, right? Because she's like some little French actress that she like goes. My up. running joke is that Juliet Binoche is also dressed like Count Chocula when she wins, <laughs> and she goes I'm look, up. I'm looking and she, that up. Her right speech, now, her speech is literally. She's like, "I am so surprised. I thought Lauren was gonna win. I did not think I was gonna win. Yep. Thanks." And she leaves. Which, her meanwhile, speech. the Kill Bill sirens go right. off when you see Lauren Bacall. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's um, so great another quick shout out to ironweed uh just because i just laughed at it when it happened as kind of like a he said it uh so when meryl has her singing moment he turns to her and he says baby that's as good as it gets oh <laughs> I, like, I was like i was like there it is there i try to is. think i try to think of a man and take away reasons and accountability it. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to, so we're moving to our last one here on the way to that one. There is a book I love that every time I've kind of 
the first time I saw Iron Reading it today, it reminded me. There's a book called Waiting for Nothing by Tom Cromer, which um, I read a long time ago. It was first published in 1935. It's this guy's one book. Um, it's all 90% autobiographical, and it's just a guy walking around in the Great Depression trying to find his next meal. And so it's just a series of vignettes. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly sad, but incredibly beautiful. It's one of my the best books I've ever read. Um, and I don't know that many people actually know the book. I kind of I always thought maybe people did, but 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 I, I, I maybe not. Anyway, just if you can find it at your library, check it out. Waiting for nothing, Tom Cromer. It's not long. It's incredibly powerful. It's kind of like Ulysses, kind of like Ironweed, right? Kind of of a piece in terms of kind of the Wanderer, the Odyssey, what have you. Um, but it's as good for my money. It's I've never read Ironweed, but for my money, it's as I mean, Ulysses is amazing, but it's as good as any of those in terms of just kind of iconic, beautiful, searing sentences and descriptions and and just kind of captures the moment in a beautiful way so that's just a a recommendation because it's because it's amazing the final movie is quite different from the other ones i would say um the madness of king george my pick um as we mentioned nicholas heitner now nicholas heitner for those who don't know he's like a theater he's like a theater legend he he ran the globe theater he like is a, a god among you know uh british theater men you know he he his pivot to movies uh, came with this movie, I believe, right? I think this is his first movie. And, mm, I think so. And it it's adapted from a play. Like I mentioned before, Nigel Hawthorne plays King George. This is like a legacy performance by him. Um, he gets deservedly nominated i would argue should probably have won if i'm looking at the nominees he lost to uh so he lost to tom hanks Uh, yeah i mean i would so okay you got hanks wins for forrest gump Eh, uh that's also the travolta year the paul newman nobody's fool so here's my thing morgan freeman shawshank more i guess yeah morgan freeman is an iconic performance i would say if it doesn't go to hawthorne I'd, I'd I'd have it go to Freeman, though I do love Newman and Nobody's Fool. I don't I don't love Travolta in Pulp Fiction. I never have. I agree. I mean, like that was such a huge thing, though. I like know. that was a story. That was a comeback. There was. And it people, was. You know, it's a, I don't it's, know if I get into him as a lead. Yeah. I, he's, you, know, you mean? I, do you think that's some category fraud there? I mean, like I'm not one of those like category fraud, category fraud people. I'm. Maybe more so, like maybe there's no lead of Pulp Fiction, right? Um, yeah, but like I, I, I'm with you in that. Like next to those other performances, I don't know how much it stacks I just, up. Even yeah. though like Forrest Gump is is Forrest Gump, yeah. Um, but like that whole movie is Tom Hanks's movie. Yeah, so. I mean, and it's like my thing with Pulp Fiction, great movie, fine. You're telling me you're not going to nominate Bruce Willis, like you know what I mean? Like you're not going to nominate Bruce Willis for the way better performance. I mean, they did opinion. also like, not. They at least they nominated the only of. one who matters, which is Samuel L. Jackson. No, I know, I know. Yeah. That's true. I just it just bothers me that I whatever. It's it's fine. He, John Travolta, great comeback. His fourth, seventh comeback, whatever. Good. I like him. He's fine. It's good, a weird year. But 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 nobody's fool. It's a very weird Oscar. Newman year. was never going to win because he won for Color Money, but that's a lovely performance. My point is Nigel Hawthorne, go watch the Madness of King George. That is an iconic performance. So basically, just historical context. 
King George, he loses America after the you know, during the revolution. And a few years later, it's the late 18, uh, late 1780s. Sorry. Um, he, um, he begins to lose his thread essentially in day-to-day kind of scenarios and his his conniving son the prince of wales played by the amazing rupert everett in this movie yeah so good he's He's so freaking good yeah he sees his opportunity to potentially usurp usurp the, the throne um meanwhile those around king george have their own kind of, you know, ambitions. Um, and his only real ally is his wife, the queen played by Helen Mirren, who also got nominated. And it's an out and out comedy, right? You'd like stuff like, you know, the whole time King George, he'll say nonsensical things and he ends it with what, what, right? He says the, you know, the, what, what is like the whole, he says the whole time. And it's just, the movie does, you know what, you know, what's a, a recent movie that taps into the similar absurdity that Heitner's getting at here is the favorite, right? The favorite is operating in that same are isn't the whole royalty thing weird as fuck. Thing. Yeah, th- this movie's not <laughs> as mean as the favorite. Eh, but it's not not mean. No, right. But I, I think just, it's more directly about yeah the court and the king. Yeah, yeah. Then I think that movie is that movie's a little bit more abstract with it. But like, yes, I think tonally. It, I, I don't think you're it's definitely not as weird as that movie but in terms of like the balance between what is tragic about this story and what is absurd and what is funny about this story like absolutely well and me and connor were talking earlier this week what is also kind of lovely about madison king george is there's really nobody to root for right you're because it's like king george sucks right you have to be you know (laughs) like so like you kind of i guess you root for helen mirren you kind of root for rupert ever just because he's so funny like so in that villain way what i think is kind of fascinating right is that rupert everett finds himself politically positioned to be someone who could you know he's being backed by people like charles fox who like want to bring about reform and so the like the narrative weirdly positions them as the antagonists but when they list all the things they want to do you're like yeah i don't know that all sounds good so like <laughs> like they talk about like getting rid of the slave trade you're like yeah well like- <laughs> charles charles fox who was like famously a great talker and a progressive you know order if not a bit uh two-faced you know in his own way but but um yeah no you're totally right i think that's what makes it an interesting movie you have john wood as chancellor thurlow lord thurlow who like had some of the best lines in the movie throughout john wood's such a good underrated actor and um and like we said ian home shows up halfway through basically as like the weird doctor guy who's gonna help the king maybe you know and it's and it leads to kind of more ridiculous circumstances and yeah i just one of those movies that like i said before i think to read about it is to think it's gonna be like beckett or something you know which Mm -hmm. which i beckett's one of my favorite movies but like way more kind of down the middle tragedy of the tragedy of the crown what have you it's, and it's, it's more, more like lion in winter it's like yeah it's you more, know, or, like, yeah. or like chimes at midnight yeah, or right yeah. where it's just like you're like it's like more about 
the weirdness of everything as opposed to kind of the direct, you know, it's not like, you know, what was the movie we did? Mary of Scotland, Connor, you right. know, the John yeah. Ford, like, it's, you know, it's not like, that. <laughs> no, you know, no, no, no. It's not yeah. that it fine. It's like not as stuffy as you think it would be. It, it finds a way to obviously make fun of all the stuffiness. There's a lot of good Ian Holm beady eye in this movie. Um, <laughs> Ian Holm's famous, just like hard stare beady eyes uh, is like an actual plot point here to some, to some effect. Um, yeah, no, I, I liked this movie a lot. I had seen it as a kid cause my dad really liked this movie. Um, and I, but I, I, so I only had like images of it kind of embedded in my brain and I don't actually think I had like really watched it, um, front to back until this viewing, but I really, I really did love it. The chancellor character, I, one of my favorite beats in the movie that he has is when he goes in to see Charles Fox and they're in the church and they're like talking about how the King's get maybe getting better or whatever. And he sits down and he puts his head down and they're like waiting for him to speak. And they're like, what? And he's like, I'm praying. God damn it. And it's just this like <laughs> great little bit of comedic timing. That's so perfect. Um, and it's, you know, I don't know. That's like the vibe of the whole movie. It's not too long. It, it, not it, too long. it, it moves not pretty briskly. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it's but is it we were talking so we talking about length, chariots of fire, God bless. Two hours could feels like three. I loved it. Yeah. That's yeah, that, that, that's it. That's a two-hour movie that runs long. This is kind of I think this is kind of the only one of the four that we're talking about that really kind of feels like it really moves. Um I think and, it, to, and Heitner Heitner never got back here. He did the crucible. Right. Which is kind of a flawed famously Adam, disappointing. Yeah, yeah, kind of yeah, famously. Which is like I Chris, this is what kills me about this at Oscar Buzz because I love the podcast. That's such a perfect it's the perfect movie one, for it, but, but Joan, Joan got, got nominated. nominated right? So you can't do it. It kills me because it's like that is a perfect that had all, all the Oscar buzz. That was like people. Yeah. People were like, "Well, obviously it'll win Best Picture." It's well, the Crucible. Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, like, I, I, I definitely want us to do the Boxer soon, just ooh, to, because it's I like the only the Daniel Day-Lewis movie you can yeah. do. Um, but it's also interesting because I think it's uh, the only or one of the very few Jim Sheridan movies you can do too. Um, yeah, True. the that Crucible movie is just like built to be. Uh, wheeled into classrooms on TVs on carts. I mean, um, I, I literally watched it in a classroom. I like, think that's how I watched it. <laughs> I think that's actually so. My memory of Chariots of Fire is like that. I think similar. Like, I think similar. I think totally. literally for like a week in gym class or whatever. Well, and also like, Connor, you know, Connor, like, you. But hang on, context. You went to a Catholic school. Oh, so yeah. Chariots of Fire, where an Olympic runner yeah. refuses to point. run because it's on the Sabbath. I mean, yeah, has there a, ever been a more that, perfect a Catholic point. movie? That's like, a good point. It's like, see, he didn't do it on Sunday because yeah. he's a good Catholic boy. That's a good point. And I do love, oh, God, that is the best part of Chariots, where everybody's like, dude, run. It's the Olympics. And he's like, no. They're like, Come on, really, dude? There's really? a whole He's scene like, dedicated yeah. to it. <laughs> There's um, just like, you're sure? You're sure? You're sure. <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, we don't need to go long on Madness of King George. I, It's a heavy recommend for me. I think there's lovely performance. Amanda Donahue's also great, and actually, I always remember her as yes. the as the as the person in Liar Liar, which is horrible, I know. But she's like the 
she's like the sexed up villain of liar liar if anybody remembers oh she's like the, the other lawyer right yeah, the boss I've is had better right yeah, yeah 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 the boss is really riding me that whole yeah. part oh boy oh that's a tough part of that movie but you know hey anyway um but she is great in this movie as kind of the duplicitous kind of behind the scenes she's she's helen mirren's aide in the yeah movie, she's right? almost the, yeah. doing it's almost kind of like doing uh i mean that's also maybe reminded me of the favorite because that's where it's like the aide as evil jane austen novel character or as like manipulator a, sure yeah, yeah yeah so but um anyway which i and mean nigel it, hawthorne also doesn't give the performance you think he's gonna give yep, to yeah, exactly. in that like He's playing a king. He's maybe going crazy, but is just like unwell or unhealthy going through like uh, that. You think you know what this performance is going to be. And I found it consistently surprising. Well, and it's it's interesting, too, to watch him. And you uh, you just mentioned sort of the, you know, the duplicitous aid. Um, we should talk about Rupert Graves, who I actually also really like in this movie, uh, who is King George's aide. And it's like, that's like a whole side theme of the movie, right? Because the whole, his whole thing is he's just like, no, I'm just, I'm just helping him because he's like the king and he needs help, you know? And he's just, <laughs> and everyone's like, dude, you're so nice. Why are you being nice? Don't be nice. Like, yeah. uh, and it's, it's interesting because it does feel like a very necessary character to me because it does kind of make you sort of like semi uh, sympathetic to the king where you're like, yeah, I don't know. He seems like he's losing his mind. Somebody's got to help him. Like... When wow. the woman when the woman tries to assassinate the king with the with the kitchen knife, the best. Uh, oh, yeah, she's, she's got like a butter knife or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just for historical context, you know, this is the theory on what the madness was. It it was allegedly based on whatever research you know you can do, porphyria, which is a liver disorder, which like does cause weird things to happen in your brain. It's a nervous system kind of situation. And there's there's abdominal pain and like he was like spitting black liquid, which is, could also be a side effect of that. Yeah, that's like, why his, people, his pee was blue. That was like another. That was the, yeah. that's like a very specific uh, symptom of porphyrias. That's why people think that's what it is. So, you know, you can't know for sure, but it's kind of an interesting thing because then he got better and was king for like another 20 years. So it's right. like a weird moment of two years that obviously makes a really amazing you know, movie for that, you know, for that mm -hmm. moment in time. Anyway, so that's the madness of King George. <clears throat> Another kind of a weird year for Oscar. Um, kind of as we wrap up, it's it's the it's we said it's the Forrest Gump year, not the Brave Art. It's the Forrest Gump yeah. year. So Forrest Gump kind of runs away with it. Obviously, now that feels a little like you know. Well, okay. So this is another good year to ask. What would your win have been? Oh my God! Wait, Jessica Lang. One for Blue Sky, which is what One I was going to pick. Which is what Oscar I was going to pick for this. Yeah. It's so bad. It is a movie. So just for those who don't know, and how why would you know? Um, Blue Sky is Tony Richardson's last film. The great Tony Richardson, who made a lot of great movies. Um, one of my favorite movies, The Loneliness of the Long. Speaking of running movies, The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner is an amazing movie with young Tom Courtney, which. Is a movie I watched when I was a runner, and it's a beautiful movie about <laughs> running. Boring British people running. I love these movies. Anyway, um, but this is his last movie, and it was made like in 1990, right? Yeah, it sat on the shelf for like yeah. two or three years. Uh, is it because Orion went under, right, or something? Yep, yeah, it's exactly because of that. Yeah, um, 
and this is just a really weird best actress year. And she just plays crazy. Like Jessica Lange is just playing a crazy lady. <laughs> That's like the movie. Uh, Jodie Foster, speaking of, it's, yeah, you're right, actually. Jodie Foster gets nominated for Nell. Okay. They're not going to give her a third Oscar in the span of five, five to ten years. years. Right. Miranda Richardson probably deserved Tom and Viv. That's a good performance. And then... Winona for Little Women. Okay, I mean, which is like the surprise nominee on the nomination morning, but at that point the movie was a hit. Well, and, and also Winona I mean, was close to winning when, the year before. Wouldn't you say Susan Sarandon and the clients kind of surprise or no? Joe and I have talked about this a lot on our podcast. Oh, really? so we okay. would probably vote for Susan Sarandon wow. uh, because, like, it's a really good movie star it performance. Is, it is, it She's is, so good in that movie, but like people kind of sneered at that movie getting awards attention for her and at that point it's still building up to her win so it's like she, does have, she does have this overdue narrative at this point um weast wins but they're not gonna give her a win for a john grisham movie. We, weast wins again for bullets over broadway which look i love that performance don't speak don't speak i love that performance She's funny as hell. Uh, funny as hell Helen uh, Mirren gets nominated. Madison King George. I guess I, I. I guess I guess I vote for Uma. Actually, if I'm voting, mm, that's if I'm an, voting, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I guess I vote for Uma. And then, um, yeah, not much else. John Tall wins for Legends of the Fall, which I think is the most beautiful movie ever made. So, I mean, he deserves to win because I think that's the most gorgeous movie ever made. John Tall. So, like, and then the like only literally, one like, won. Like, well, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just gonna say, and then, and then it's uh, fourth nomination right was it, it won for am i am i wrong about that cost costumes you're yeah, talking about yeah, for, yeah, Madness, for yeah. Madness of king george exactly uh is it costumes or art direction, art direction. Art direction. Yeah, yeah. sorry art direction yeah. yeah this is the this is the costume year for priscilla queen of the desert which That's is a right. rad win it is to a begin rad with, win. but the designer showed up in the famous uh gold amex dress amazing oh right that's right. Oh my God. Good year. And the host, this was the Letterman year, I think. Was this the Letterman year? Uma yeah, Oprah. Uma Oprah. Yeah, this is the Letterman year. Uma Oprah. Which quickly, before we 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 sign off, the Letterman, I think it's actually pretty funny. People hate on the Letterman opening, got a lot of negative press at the time, and he he spoke of it so negatively, but actually. I think it's a pretty good. I think it's a pretty yeah, good I mean, it wasn't that one where he was like, "I'm literally never going to do that again." Like, he yeah, <laughs> he kind of famously didn't love the the uh, you know it didn't get good reviews, but like heavy, really high ratings, you know, because I think mm -hmm. everybody loved uh, people were on that Forrest Gump train. You know what I mean? People ride, <laughs> people ride Gump all the way to the Oscar, baby. And um, yeah, I don't know. I which like I'm looking at Best Picture, and I feel like I might give it to Four Weddings and a Funeral. <laughs> I the catch me on the right day, and I would too. I, <laughs> but see, the thing about Best Picture this year is like the entire movie conversation the whole year is uh, Forrest Gump makes the kind of money that it does. And uh, then, like, Pulp Fiction is just, like, unavoidable, right? Yeah, yeah. And the other three nominations are Four Weddings and a Funeral, which, like, gets there just on the strength of people loving that movie. Um, and then you have Quiz Show, which was, like, probably the austere choice. Didn't make a lot of money. No. But, like, it makes sense that it's there, even though, like, that fully would have made sense if one of us would have picked that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the Shawshank Redemption, which kind of gets there somewhat surprisingly because it was, it was a, a flop, box office yeah. failure. Um, I would pick, I mean, 
I'm the most boring person in the world. I would probably pick Quiz Show. I love Quiz Show. I, I absolutely <laughs> love Quiz Show, but kind of strong in a way. I mean, I you know, Pulp Fiction iconic. I don't know. I mean, it's weird. It's a weird year because I mean, Shawshank is so beloved now. It's like it feels weird. It didn't win almost, right? Well, because it, it now does, it does. It, but. Uh, in like a very in a very uh, IMDb top two fifty kind of way. This year does feel like you're like, yeah, of course, those are the five, right? Like, it, well, especially because guess, it's next yeah. to Forrest Gump. It's like if you have those two movies, which are like both these kind of sentimental yeah. like things that have a lot of craft going into them. Why wouldn't if you're going to vote for that movie, why wouldn't you just vote for the better one? The yeah. Shawshank? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm with you with Four Weddings and a Funeral, though, though, like I probably would still vote for Pulp Fiction because of like what that did for film, like the right. fact it, that it's even that, a Best it, Picture that, nominee. That was my, yeah, that was my second choice. It would be pro- I would probably I, pick one of those. I two. still love speaking of like great speeches when when it won the Palm d'Or and he went up when uh when or did it win the Palm d'Or? Or did he win for directing he, one of them no it, it won the Palm, it won d'or. palm d'Or. so quinn goes up and they the, the, those people boo do you remember that and he and he goes he like he, he, he like speech. flicks them the bird it's the funniest shit in the world <laughs> it's like the most there are cutie, a couple like, can wins where people have booed yeah um it's such a great I, like punk rock moment, the you know Gen X like thing that happens. It's it's nice. One of the craziest things about Pulp Fiction winning that Palm though is if you go back and look at the jury, it is wild to me. Even though like Pulp Fiction obviously is what it is and like changed the, what it changed, but like that that jury still went for Pulp Fiction. Yeah. It's... Well, it's kind of like when Spielberg was the head of the jury and Blue's the warmest color one, and you were kind of like, oh boy, oh. talk about buyer's remorse. <laughs> <laughs> You're like Stephen, what? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was weird. Um, so look, those are. A few Oscar B-sides. There's a million of them. Yeah, which we is could, one of those things. We can you know, do this we, again. It's, <laughs> yeah. When we when we thought about this and we were like, oh, let's see if Chris wants to do this, you know, what have you. Like, I think in my head I was like, well, yeah, it's a little. How many are there? But then when you go it's through so, the nominees, it's so you know, many. there's so many. You know, and part I have to say, part of this is a product of women not getting great roles for like a hundred years, where like, or you know, that might be a little reductive, but the idea being women getting lead roles often not enough where a lot of the b-sides if you look are these best actress nominations because they're finding the good you know lead performances in movies that don't really like wings of the dove for example was one that i was thinking about choosing Mm -hmm. which is a good movie right ian softly movie um a lot to like about it but a movie where like it gets nominated for performance almost alone, there's a lot. There's a lot of that. Like Blue Sky there's is a whole, another good example. Like uh, if you look at the stats every year, and it unfortunately never gets better. And then sometimes you have these one-off years where it's like, wow, there's two actresses that are also in Best Picture nominees that are nominated for Best Actress. It's exactly. like it's this perennial thing that like yeah. it it makes you question what like this, it, this not only the type of things that are getting greenlit that are female led yeah. but also what oscar value well and like you know just you know? bring it back to this year th- to your point this is a good example of a year where, where it's refreshing because you're like okay 
Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman, Viola, Ma Rainey, right? Like, and I know Ma Rainey didn't get nominated. Didn't Ma Rainey get nominated for Best Picture? Not a Best Picture which nominee, is, is but you snub, also have yeah. Frances McDormand. Right, for Nomadland. Nomadland. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you have, that's nice, right? You go like, okay, that feels progressive, right? In a way. And, and uh, you know, low bar. But, but um, yeah, it's weird. It's like, that's where you run into these B-side-y kind of situations where you go like, wow. They get forgotten because, you know, and I was, you know, even in a lot of writing nominees, you run into that as well, you know, where you just kind of see some nominees and you go like, oh, wow, they got nominated for writing. That's so strange. So, yeah, there's some of them, from. too, are just like, these are movies that didn't make that much money. And then the home, the whole home video thing, like part of the reason they get forgotten is because they don't get yeah. preserved and it's not always necessarily a qualitative thing. But so true. Like, like, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Did anyone get nominated for Mrs. Brown? Like, remember Mrs. Brown, directed by John yeah, Madden? Julie Dench did, or G- Judy Julie Dench. Dench. Yeah. Judy Dench did. But I mean, yeah. that's a great example. Like, that's a movie, not a bad movie, but it's like a John Madden movie right before Shakespeare in Love. Who remembers Mrs. Brown? Like Gerard Butler's in it. I remember that. <laughs> she's really good in that movie. No, she's good in it. I, 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 that's my point. It would be great to cover it. I'm just saying it's like, you, there's a lot of that stuff. It's crazy. It's yeah. very, anyway. Um, Chris, I wanted to shout out as we wrap up. Uh, if you're listening now, your most recent, if you're listening within a few days of this pub being published, your most recent This Had Oscar Buzz episode is about a home at the end of the world, which is a movie that I love. And spoiler alert, I loved it too. I love that you loved it. That's like a movie. I, I, I interviewed Robin Wright for Land and I asked her, I was like, hey, are there any movies, you know, that you've made that you just wish more people had seen? And I kind of like prompted her with like, I'm thinking of great things like Home at the End of the World, She's So Lovely. And she bit on She's So Lovely, but not on Home at the End of the World. And I was like, ah, but, ah. but I love that movie. Yeah. You can see the ways that, the, like, we kind of go long on it because we both really loved it. Um, I, like, I'd seen it when it first came out and, like, remembered very little about it. Right, right? And right, it's probably right. a movie that was mispromoted, not handled as well as it should have. Why would they release that movie in the summer, etc.? Yeah. But it, that's another movie that's not super available. You can rent it some places, but not everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, that fully needs a reassessment too because i think especially if you view it through the lens of 2004 i think it's a really smart and sensitive movie for what it's about and i think maybe 2004 audiences weren't exactly primed to meet it at its level yeah that's uh beautifully put yeah sensitive is the perfect word and i think that was the movie for me you know, I've always been a big Colin Farrell fan for, for sure, but I think that was the movie for me where I was like, "Oh, he's really good." Like, yeah, I was like, I, yeah, I agree that I, yeah. that's kind of the thing I remember about the movie in terms of like, I was like, "Oh, he's like interesting." Like, I yeah, I right, didn't, right. That's a I good didn't way to know this about him. <laughs> like, yeah, because um, look, we all it's... we all love the recruit, but of I course. Mean... <laughs> well, and you can also see that time period for Colin Farrell. Yep. Um feeling like he might have been miscast at the time because we hadn't really seen the type of character roles that would come to kind of define his career like 100%, he has now 100%. um 
but yeah he's great in that movie yeah and it's like and also it like made me love dallas roberts forever who is a great working kind of character actor he's you know Mm -hmm. he's in like rubicon if you remember that kind of underrated amc show uh he's really great in rubicon actually and he's in like a million things just as like a good actor you know what i mean and so it's, it's nice that he gets basically center stage uh just reminded me <laughs> so okay really quickly we're already running long and i don't want to keep you forever chris but heitner does center stage which didn't perform well but when i so when i was growing up i was like theater kid adjacent right which is to say like i got into writing i wanted to be a playwright i love david mamet i love these other people what have you i acted like a little like connor you probably acted more than i did in high school and stuff but yeah, like i was a theater kid oh, i well. was friends with <laughs> yeah. i was friends with all those kids you know because i love those kids you know you like learn you're like oh my god like these people are interesting you know whatever like i'm not trying to be whatever about you like who you like it's all good but i'm just saying like for me loving movies and loving plays and stuff i was like oh i should be talking to these people like i know i'm running and whatever but like these people are, are interesting right <laughs> and all of a sudden you're just like watching center stage like every month because it was like this movie where it's like oh this is like about us like it's just <laughs> at the right movie. time <laughs> it's just that movie it's so funny that movie and it really has that place of i think people probably in our general age range right like 30 something whatever as we as mm-hmm. we record that's what 2000 and it's just like it hit at the right time i don't know i mean it, it's nice that it has such a nice i mean you would probably say that's heitner's most right like it's probably recognizable. His best movie <laughs> it's weird but it's like it's aged better than all the other ones i mean he go he makes yeah. the history boys is like the last one he does a few years after that which is came and mm. went and um, lady in the van <laughs> oh my god lady in the van and then yeah. and then he does which which an object of my affection or the object of my affection, whatever it's called. Yeah, one of them. Wolf, wolf, <laughs> wolf, wolf. I, I, I love Jennifer Aniston as much as anybody, Paul Rudd, but that is a tough situation, that movie. Um, I, I, it's a hard not recommend over here. Anyway, uh, Chris, tell us one more time where people can find you and your amazing podcast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris V file. That's F E I L. You can follow my podcast. Uh, this had Oscar buzz, um, at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz, uh, all the trivia like games. you guys. Yeah, we, we do, uh, lots of games on the podcast. We, um, this week it's a home at the end of the world. We have a couple other good movies coming this month that I think listeners will be excited about. Um, and then we always do a mini series in May centering on one subject. Last year we did Naomi Watts movies the year before that, everything was 2003. Uh, and we have a really, really cool, uh, subject this May. So Ooh, keep an eye out for excited. that. Ooh, that sounds good. Um, yeah. And then you can find me at DJ Mecca on Twitter. As always, you can find me on the film stage. I'll be reviewing a couple movies coming up. Um, so that'll be cool. We're working on maybe hopefully getting a cool filmmaker duo guest for uh, for the podcast. We'll see if that shakes out. Uh, we're chatting with them now, so that's cool. Uh, definitely check out the Darius Walski conversation from a few weeks ago. And as you're listening, hopefully, if, if, if the Oscars have happened, hopefully he won for News of the World. Yeah, yeah we, we sure hope so. And um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Connor, why don't you wrap us up and do your thing? 
Uh, yeah, no, you can find me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFSB Side. Uh, as Dan mentioned, uh, our most recent episode before this one is uh, is our interview with Darius Wolski. Check that out if you have not. Some really cool little anecdotes in there. Uh, it was a lot of fun to talk to him. He's worked with both Ridley and Tony Scott and a number of other fascinating filmmakers. Uh, and he's had a really, really interesting career. So check that episode out if you had not. A uh, couple other things coming up. We have a cinephile game night. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Coming up on April 17th, I believe. Um, yeah. So if you're listening like a couple days, a after couple this, days after this and that'll be a entertainment cool weekly. It'll maybe. be us and entertainment <laughs> weekly uh, and uh, the writer, director, Emma Seligman of uh, Chiva Baby. So that'll that'll be. Fun. I believe it's Shiva Baby. Okay, Connor. sorry. Come sorry. on, that dude. movie fucking rules. <laughs> that movie is so tense. I watched it a couple days ago. I was like, I liked it a lot. I was like, oh yeah, this is like a thriller. Okay, like <laughs> uh, very good. Very but good that'll movie. that'll be coming up, so you can check that out uh, if you follow Cinephile Game on Twitter or the Film Stage on Twitter. That's where we will be going live. So that that should be. A lot of fun. Um, other than that, you know, we'll we'll see what happens uh, come Oscar night, obviously. And Chris, thank you so much for for joining us. It was great to have you. Uh, we appreciate this. Was so much fun. Thanks. For yeah, having we'll me. have you back for Babs, obviously. Yeah, and we'll we'll have to we'll, we'll get Joe on here as well. We'll complete the uh, <laughs> the had Oscar buzz crossover. Um, but and also to you, listener out there, thank you. And all I have to say is. What a thrill. <laughs>